Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. And so today I'm really excited that we can have Jose Luis uh, from the Barcelona Vineyard uh, be preaching here today. But Jose Luis, um, you know, one of our, our values is the kingdom of God. And Jose Luis is really... Um, does a great job of understanding this theological topic and making it super practical and why it's essential for us as a vineyard to, to understand this. So um, I asked Stephen and Sarah if, if Jose Luis could preach on this topic, and uh, he's agreed to do that. So I, I think you're in for a treat today. <laughs> I would try. <laughs> So thank you for your warm welcome. Uh, it's a privilege to be among you. Uh, my wife, Anais, and I, I think you will see some pictures now, are pastors of a vineyard church there. We have four wonderful children. And this is our 11th year as a vineyard pastors in Barcelona, and, and still is a wonderful experience so far. Again, thank you for your welcome and your hospitality. I, I would like to express my deepest gratitude to you, especially the Hopkinton Vineyard and other vineyard churches in New England area who have been tirelessly investing in our country for more than 30 years. So just to say your efforts are not in vain. And after all of your investment, there are several churches there our church in Barcelona has grown, as uh, Rob just said. Uh, we have planted another church in the city, and we have vision to plant four, five more churches in our region, Catalonia area, one in every major city of the four counties of our region. So thank you again for partnering, for being so generous to us, and for helping um, us and cooperate with God in bringing the kingdom of God to Spain. So we are really blessed by you guys. Thank you. So there we go. One of, <laughs> one of the most powerful elements in shaping the way human beings think about the meaning of life and making decisions is the stories. Those who have done a career in law or political science think that it's oratory and argumentation that drives human behavior. Accountants, engineers, managers may consider that it's data, numbers, excels, uh, facts, wealth that drive human behavior. Marketing people, they will say that we are all driven by the desire to obtain or the fear of losing some kind of sensation or pleasure. But those who truly move people are those who construct narratives, those who tell stories, those who can articulate and share a story aimed at creating an explanation, a framework that gives meaning to the particular reality and existence of those who are listening to those stories. Narratives capture our attention and shape our lives. A few months ago, I bought a super interesting book called, well, it's in Spanish, but the title will be Once Upon a Time, The Gospel in Fairy Tales. 
uh, in which the author, a guy named Diego Blanco, presents the, the thesis that fairy tales are the tools that, from immemorial times, human beings have used to capture the glimpses of God in creation and try to understand, it, to understand life. And it's a fantastic book. I'm sorry that you don't have it in English. But... <laughs> I, I have recommended to all parents in my church, and they can use the bedtime stories to help their children reflect on their faith. Consider, for example, a story that has been told and retold in many ways. And it is still believed and respected by many people today. It's the story of Prince Charming. The story tells of a special person, Snow White, or Sleeping Beauty, or any of its variations, who falls under the influence of a spell an evil too powerful to resist, becoming the damsel in distress. And it is then when the pure, noble, brave prince appears uh, on the scene who stands up evil, breaks the spell, and frees this person. When this happens and this person is free, both live happily ever after. And the framework of this, this story presents us with several elements that appear in many stories and in the listener's own reality, so they can connect with this story. First, a person faces a challenge that overcomes and threatens to destroy her or him. Second, they need a rescuer, someone more powerful who can free them. Third, the rescuer intervenes, defeating evil. And fourth, they live together in happiness after their intervention. So this pattern is repeated in the great stories. Think of the tale of little... Uh, red Reading Hood is like you say in Spanish is yeah in Spanish is Caperucita Roja yeah or Sleeping Beauty it is the same approach then the Bible as a whole and Jesus in the Gospels told a story one that when you experience it you become part of it and it radically changes your life forever it is the story of the kingdom of God this story, which Jesus told and embodied, shapes the central plot of the entire Bible. Jesus spoke of the kingdom dozens of times in the Gospels. You know, the first recorded sentence of Jesus in Mark's Gospel is speaking about the kingdom. You see, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus began to tell that the kingdom of God has come, that it was so close that you could touch it, the Jews of the first century who listened to him knew, or thought they knew, um, what Jesus was talking about. They were all waiting prophesied over centuries for a long-for intervention of God. They were waiting for a Messiah, a Savior, the rescuer who was going to break the curse of the diabolical power that dominated them and that was too strong to shake off and, was, and who was going to fulfill God's promises to his people. God the King was going to appear on the scene and reestablish his just and righteous rule over his people. And in part, that is what Jesus was talking about. 
But the vast majority of those who heard him did not understand how that rescue was going to take place. Because the way Jesus told the story was different from what they were using, they were used to hearing. They were elements in the way Jesus told the story that made many people angry. For example, he began to tell that the king was going to come to rescue them, but he was going to do it through suffering. They didn't like that. Uh, and on top of that, Jesus began to tell, that, yeah, to tell them that this king was not only going to rescue the Jews, but he was going to come to rescue the whole world. And even more, Jesus said that the problem was not only with foreign nations that did not recognize God, but that, that there were also certain Jews in the Jewish religious establishment who had their backs turned to God. And as you say, I think... I'm saying correctly, that was the straw that broke the camel back. And because they don't like it, and they don't like, didn't like how Jesus told the story, they crucified him. But you know, the story of the kingdom of God is a very old story. It's a story that somehow forms the framework for understanding the whole Bible. It is the skeleton on which the whole Bible stands and this story did not begin with the words of Jesus, the incarnate God, in first century Palestine under Roman domination. The story of the kingdom is embedded in the dawn of time. In fact, we must go to the roots of the Bible in the ancient testament, in the book of Genesis, to, uh, to fully understand it. So the fifth thing we need to ask ourselves in the plot of this story is, where do we come from? You know, every story has a introduction, a line, like many, many years ago in a far real place, you know, or in the beginning. That makes us understand what is the origin of the story and the framework in which it develops. The first words in the Bible, in Genesis, tells us that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and earth. These are some of the most important words ever written. Why? First of all, they declare to us that the main subject of the story is God, not us. He is the creator. He is the good king. He is the owner of the universe and all things he has created. Do you want to know what the Bible is about? It's the story of God and his kingdom and his dealing with his people. God appears at the beginning and at the end of the Bible. And in all the intermediate points uh, between the beginning and the end, he is the main subject of the story. He is blessing the people. He is judging them. He is answering their petitions and prayers. He is intervening to rescue them from the powers that are stronger uh, uh, for them to overcome. And when we hear in the beginning God created the whole universe, we are reminded of a fundamental truth. God is the main subject of human life. He is the starting point. He is the lens through which we must interpret life. And if we don't start from Him, all of our thinking becomes muddled. Without God, we build on nothing on air. And this statement communicates to us that everything in this universe is ultimately related to God. So your singleness, your sexuality, your marriage your children, your difficulties, your suffering, your losses, your successes, your joys, your shadows, your sorrows, 
your money, your political views, your studies, your work, your leisure, everything finds meaning as it relates and is defined by God the King. But God the Creator, who is gracious King over all His creation. And that's the way we find meaning in our lives. Everything we are, everything that exists, emanates from the hand and the will of God. And our life is a loan that has been granted uh, to us by Him. It comes from Him, and one day we'll return to Him. Our bodies, our possessions, our marriages, and our careers are not eternal. And many people, I think it's the same here that in my country, in Spain, many people talk about my body, my health, my career, my house, my money, my life, without seeing that it's a loan from a loving, gracious, and just God. Therefore, secondly, there are no such things as self-made men or women. We live in a Western world in a culture that promotes individualism and success, human aspirations, and social climbing. And it promotes as if it was something that each of us can accomplish by the sheer exercise of our will with no mediating factor. Everything we have, a, is a, everything we have is a gift. And of course, we work it, we mold it, or we waste it. But we have not created anything, not even ourselves. The Apostle Paul reminds us in this letter to Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's verse 4, 7. What do you have that God hasn't given to you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? So let me ask you, how many of us here live consciously with this idea that everything we have is alone from a king, from a gracious God. How do you react when you lose something that is precious to you? A job, your health, your home, a relationship. Does this loss shake you and make you angry at God? How could you dare to take this from me? The second question we ask ourselves in the story is, who are we? You know, in every story, the main character, there is a main character, and there are secondary characters. And even, you say this, guest starrings. So who am I? What role do I play in this story? And in our Western world, in the 21st century, we base the answer to that question on completely superficial elements. We are laying a very superficial foundation to build our identity. And it's, we build it on our physicality, the way we dress, the cars we drive, the houses we live, the cell phone we have, etc. Sometimes we build our identities on the hobbies we have or our sports team. You know, now in my country, Barcelona soccer team supporters are having a miserable life. <laughs> so, who are we? What does it mean to be a human being? And again, Genesis chapter 1 gives us the answer. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, you see, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they, 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created my, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? This, you know, this has attracted the attention of theologians and scholars for centuries. Some believe is that God gave man the ability to reason and to plan for the future. Others think that it has to do with the ability to be relational, to be made to live in community. And these are all great ideas. But there are other scholars who think that being made in the image of God connects perfectly with the story of the kingdom of God. You see, in the ancient world, kings would build things, signs in the forms of statues or monuments to declare the rule of a territory. That image of that king told everyone that even if the king was not present, was somewhere else, his rule, his dominion extended to that land. So when God created human beings in, him, in his image and commands them to fill and rule the earth, the earth, he sends them as a sign to all creation that there is a good, kind, and just king who created everything and whose dominion extends over the entire planet. So God's purpose in making people in his image and likeness was to demonstrate to creation that where humans were, God was in charge. The human being was an ambassador, our, a vice regent to creation of the div divine dominion, representatives of the king of the universe. And this extends to our own day. Those of you who have received the grace of being rescued by Jesus and reintroduced into the family of God through faith, you bear the image of God. We exist to represent God and his dominion of goodness and justice wherever we are. We exist to announce and manifest the kingdom of God in our surroundings. And there is no higher vocation in life. There is no higher vocation. But we underestimate it by pursuing other callings. And that brings us to our third question. We ask ourselves, what is the problem? We have seen that in every story, one of the characters faces a challenge as an antagonist. Snow White and Sleeping Beauty fall under the dominion of the witch spell, evil, evil spell. Little Red Riding Hood is devoured by the big bad wolf. And Edmund is claimed by the witch of Narnia to kill him as a traitor. And, uh, and so it also happens in the story of the kingdom of God. When we look at how life works, it's evident to all of us that the world is not functioning as it should if it were to follow the guidelines of the first two chapters of Genesis. And on the one hand, we, we have this good, just creator who creates the world from nothing and sends human beings into the world as ambassadors of his good will and rule. But when we look at the world today, it looks nothing like that picture. Everything is upside down. Wars, disease, death, alienation, divorce, tragedy, conflict. What's the problem? And all the great thinkers in looking to the world have tried to figure 
what the problem is. Some Greek philosophers, like Plato, argued that the problem was matter. Spirit was good, matter was bad, and we had to escape from our bodies to achieve enlightenment. Rousseau, the French philosopher, said that what was wrong, really, was the society that corrupted the innocent human being. His society was a lady, you know, and she's corrupting people, you know. And later thinkers, such as Marx, argued that the problem was the unfair distribution of wealth. And so each of one has been launching his theories on the matter. But the Bible has been recording for millennia an opinion about what's the world's problem. According to the scriptures, we human beings, we have fallen under the temptation of rejecting the rule of our kind, wise, and just king, and substitute our own rule and plague this earth with our tiny individual kingdoms. And we read in Genesis chapter 3, For God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And as human beings, we continually reject God's rule and establish our own ridiculous dominions. We, we want to be God's. Knowing good and evil means we want to set our own standard of what's right and wrong. And of course, I know, you know, what God says about how I should relate to my co-workers and how I should relate to my neighbors, to my spouse, to my children, how I should relate to my sexuality, my money, my free time, but I don't care. So I will create my own standard of good and evil, right and wrong, and I will rule my own little kingdom. And therefore, we end up with billions of human beings in all the planet who think they are kings, colliding against each other. And all the problems in, the wor in this world ultimately have the roots in that we don't want to live under the cover of the rule of the one king. And as a result, we experience psychological alienation because as we reject king's dominion, the, the king's dominion and establish our own deep confusion uh, begins to enter in our life. And because we were not created to live this way, life, life ceases, ceases to make sense. And we found ourselves experiencing feelings of shame and frustration. And we also you know, produce relational conflicts when our desire of dominance clashes with other people's desire for dominance. And there are many family conflicts, neighborhood conflicts, church conflicts, national and international conflicts, and divorce, and abandonments, and broken hearts, and along, etc. And, ultim and ultimately, as our result of our rejection of God's dominion and by turning our backs on him instead of connecting with him who created us we are alienated we experience spiritual alienation we find it difficult to believe in God that he wants to relate to us that he wants to answer our prayers and bless us and we become isolated without being able to experience his presence with, within our individual little kingdoms How's that? But you know, at the dawn of the storm, in the moment of greater darkness, remember that in every great story, there is a character who comes to rescue. He is the prince in Snow White. He is the huntsman in Little Red Riding Hood. He's Aslan in Arnia. 
And in the story of the kingdom of God, it's Jesus who comes and rescues all of us. And how we are rescued. Jesus is the king. The New Testament confers him this title on hundreds of times. Every time it calls him Jesus Christ. You know, Christ is not Jesus' middle name. You know, Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew world, Messiah. Anointed, the one anointed as a king. Jesus is the anointed king, the ruler descended from the land of David and sent by God to restore God's good and righteous rule to intervene in the lives of those facing challenges too great to overcome. And how that, does Jesus rescue us? When Jesus is the quintessential image of God. Wherever Jesus went, he represented God in the way human beings should have done and did not do. He is the perfect image of God. When Jesus was, where Jesus was, the rule of kingdom of God was extended. Snow White was awakened. Little Red Riding Hood rescued from the clutches of the wolf. Edmund saved from the snow witch. Uh, Jesus himself declared, Wherever I go, the, bl the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are healed, the dead are raised, the good news proclaimed to the poor. Jesus spent all the Gospels healing and the, uh, liberating everyone until in a dramatic turn of events, Jesus suffers and dies on the cross. And we we'll all seem lost in a surprising plot twist. He returns to leave everyone with their mouths open. Uh, and we are resurrecting and we all dis discover the incredible paradox that is it is through his death on the cross and his resur resurrection that he definitively uh, defeats the forces that were too powerful for us and that has us under control. The power, the power of Satan, the power of sin, and the power of death. He broke them. He defeated them. And he freed us. So the story of the kingdom of God tells us that the reign of God has come into this world through Jesus Christ with the power to rescue us and invite us to be his co-workers, restoring us to our origi original seat as vice regents in his reign as we wait for his final return. And now the kingdom extends and breaks into our world through us, those of us who have chosen to live under the mighty hand of the king as we announce and demonstrate that we, those things that we have experienced, salvation, restoration, peace, and the life of the king that is available to all of. We are people of the kingdom of God. But we not only announce, we also practice. Put in practice all these things in our life. When we use the word kingdom in Spanish, I think it's the same in English. We usually refer to a geographical area. You know, the kingdom of Spain, the United Kingdom. However, in the Bible, the word kingdom, both in Greek, Basileia, and in Hebrew, Malkuth, refer to an activity, to an action. You know, the activity of the government of a king over his people which evidently takes place in a land, you know. But when Jesus says, repent, you know, the first scripture we read, when Jesus said, repent because the, the kingdom of God has come, we can translate it as repent because the rule of God is, is over your lives now. That is to say, the kingdom of God is manifested in every moment, in every place, in every person over whom just, just, 
and gracious will is carried out. And those of us who choose to submit to his reign and rule by surrender our lives to this Messiah receive the incredible gift of his, of his spirit who comes to live in us and renews the image of God in us so that we are once again able to represent the good, wise, and righteous rule of God wherever, whenever we go. And the practical way in which we demonstrate this kingdom is by doing all that Jesus did when he was on earth as a God's vice regent and charged us to continue to do so. Healing the sick, casting out demons, freeing the oppressed, bringing the shalom of God's kingdom. That is justice, provision, and care for the poor. The reason why you may be in the middle of a problem or a family mess is that you are in the midst of it to represent to the rest which, what would your family be if all of you were under God's tender, just, and loving rule. You have been put there to reach out to that family member who is the black sheep or the alienated cousin. All of us have one of these. Um, or the brother-in-law whose life is a hell, and let the goodness of God's kingdoms manifest, reach out and bless all around you. You are in the company where you work, or the high school, or the university where you study. You are in the neighborhood where you live, not to enjoy your life only. I expect you enjoy where you live, you know. But you are there because you are an ambassador of a kingdom. And with the empowerment of God's spirit, that kingdom can break through you and translate into salvation, hope, healing, peace, joy, freedom, transformation, justice, food, clothing, fellowship, and endless blessings for the people around you who need to experience it. We represent where we are the rule of God, our Lord. And His desire to reconcile relationships, His desire for blessing, for peace and well-being for all his creation. And this is our story. A story worth telling, repeated and enacted, put into practice until the king comes looking for us again. We are the people of the kingdom. And this is our DNA. Why don't we pray? Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for making us part of your kingdom. Thank you for making us part of the story. You invited us to be part of your story. You invited us to partner with you. And Jesus, we are excited at the prospect of cooperation, cooperating with you in bringing your kingdom in our midst here in Massachusetts and in Spain too. God, our souls are filled with gratitude that you have saved us, restored us, and filled us with purpose. We adore you this morning. Amen.